Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth, coming to you from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, sitting across the broadcast desk from me in our studio is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. Let us jump into questions and then our topic for the night. Pastor, we have a series of questions that has come in. Uh, since last week, and thank you to the individual from St. Kitts who texted us these questions. Number one, Pastor, can an Ethiopian change his skin, and what color is his skin? Well, I, I um, you know, I'm trying to figure out why this kind of question would be asked, and uh, I suspect this has to do with black nationalism. But really, an Ethiopian is of the habitic stock, so I would um, there would be dark complexion, um, what people perhaps call black. So um, I've never seen. A, I've seen people who are black um, use um, different things to get lighter. I suppose and get lighter in that sense. But actual fact, once you're a particular race, you can't remove your identity because it's, it's racial. So um, the answer to that question is that you wouldn't be able to change his color. Number two, can a leopard change his spot? Where is his spot? Again, anybody who, who knows what a leopard looks like would know that a leopard has spots. So I'm a little bit confused why that question would be asked. But clearly, uh, the whole concept there is the fact that there are things that cannot be changed. And um, the Ethiopian, in terms of his color, and also the, the leopard. So um, I'm not too sure if the person's aware that a leopard, ha- leopard had spots, but they have spots, and that's the, that's the biblical analogy that's being used, that whatever is dealing with their incorrigible, they can't change, and they're just using these analogies to, to, to talk on this subject. What color is a Jew? Well, I think anybody that has seen Netanyahu or seen uh, Bernie Sanders uh, or Feinstein, all of those are Jews, and I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, um, I would say that a Jew is probably a typical near um, uh, Middle Eastern type of person, uh, probably with a tan complexion. Um, that would be my. That's. I mean, anybody that sees any pictures of the Jews, whether it be representing at the UN or um, the Prime Minister speaking, or somebody else in American government who is um, Jewish. And there are a lot of people in, in, uh, who are Jewish in, in, in America, but because of the, the weather and because of the, um, uh, the fact that the climate, they're much more clearer than normal than they would be in the Middle East. But generally speaking, if you see an Arab, um, that kind of complexion, I would think that would be the, the, the complexion of a Jew. So a Jew is not black? No, a Jew. Well, they have black Jews in, in the sense that a lot of Ethiopians were taken out by um, 
uh, I forgot the Prime Minister when they had the problem in um, Ethiopia they went and they took them and also uh, um, they took some from South Africa as well so there are people who uh, accepted the Jewish religion that's what they mean by Jew accepted Judaism uh, who are of black complexion there's no question about that from a, a biblical standpoint I'm reading between yeah. the lines here just based on conversations I've had is a the Jews of the Bible were they Africans or were they of the Middle East? Or? No, they were not Africans. Anybody that reads the Bible will know that J- Jews are not Africans. Jew- Africans are from the Hamitic stock. Jews are from the she- uh, Shemites. Two different uh, groups altogether. Uh, so I don't know where that has come from. That's a narrative that's being pushed by black nationalism. And unfortunately, it's come out of the Rastafarian movement where they're trying to identify themselves as true Jews. But that's a myth that I, I don't understand how people with any intellect and any understanding of history and archaeology who study anything about the Jewish uh, people could ever come to that conclusion. Uh, but it is just uh, one of those distortions of the modern times and uh, how they get away with this. I am not really sure how it's being done. But uh, anybody that uh, has read any book on the Jews uh, would know, quite frankly, that this was, this never happened. For example, the Jewish people were carried into exile in 70 AD after the Romans destroyed the temple, etc. They were scattered on the uttermost part of the world. That had never happened to the, the, the African uh, in 70 AD. So, and then the Bible said that God would bring back the Jews a second time, and that's what happened in 1948 when all the Jews started returning. Uh, that's a Bible prophecy. Most people um, who do not see any part for Israel in the prophetic word uh, and, and but believe you me the majority of modern churches modern denominations have no place for Israel that's shocking uh, the Seventh-day Adventists uh, have no place for Israel as well the Jehovah's Witness have no place for Israel but anybody that knows any Bible prophecy to read Romans 9, 10 and 11 Paul sets out very clearly that God's plan for the Jew we talk about Israel's past Israel's present and Israel's future. And one day, uh, God is going to regraft them into his program. And then if you read the prophetic books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and and um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Isaiah, there's a promise that God will bring his people back home. And that took place in 1948. And uh, the nation Israel will be established. And a lot of the Bible prophecies, especially in the book of Revelation, could never be understood apart from the role that the Jews will play in the end time. And, and even Paul's writing in Second Thessalonians that the temple is going to be rebuilt and the man who sent the Antichrist will set up his, his statue in there, basically. All of this is, is prophetic teaching. And so people who don't have a place for Israel in history uh, will never understand Bible prophecy and would always have to allegorize the Bible and apply it to the church or to their denomination. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.38. Thank you for listening to That's Truth. Pastor, another question. Why are words that are written in the Bible, some words are in italics? That's well, a good a, question. Yeah, when a word is in italics, it means that that specific word is not actually in the Greek language. But to to uh, make it smooth and to be grammatically correct in the English language, uh, th- that word is inserted. So whenever you see a word that is there, to make the sentence more um more acceptable and more grammatical for the English speaker. That's why it's included. But it's actually not, that word is actually itself not in the in the Greek language. And a fifth question. Pastor, you preached on a sermon 
grace reigns. Where can I find that Bible verse? And uh, I believe that's actually that's in, in that's actually in uh, Romans chapter five, verse uh, twenty-one. Uh, let me read it for the person for just a moment. I just got it. You got it there. Uh, I don't have it. Okay, while you're it. looking it up, yeah. I believe that's from your program, it, it says, Sermons uh, of Grace. That as sin hath reigned unto death. Even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. And there's a comparison there uh, between the two that as grace once dominated, uh, sin once dominated and reigned uh, unto death uh, because of human sin. But the fact that Christ came and died for humankind, uh, God now wants reign, uh, grace to reign through the righteousness that would lead to eternal life by Jesus Christ. That's found in Romans chapter 5 verse 21. Thank you very much to the individual who sent in those questions from uh, St. Kitts. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that just came in from uh, Trinidad. L- let me make another comment here, Nathan, because yeah. it, it, is, uh, it is something that I observe in the Caribbean very frequently. I can't understand, and this is where I think that Christians really need to understand their identity. Uh, what seems to be happening in certain sections of the church is uh, is that um, they're allowing uh, um, racism and nationalism uh, to get into their understanding of the Bible and distortion of the Bible. Uh, and I, I don't know why, why this is happening. My identity or your identity, uh, what gives me worth and value is my identity being a creature made in the image of God. It has nothing to do with my pigmentation or my skin or my skin color. It has to do with my, my being in Christ. And the whole emphasis of the Bible from beginning to end in the New Testament is that the believer is now identified in Christ. So we don't have to look for or to find our, our value or, or, um, or significance uh, in any kind of racial identity. We find it because we belong to Christ and we are in Him. And uh, that is the hope of the believer. And that's what we should be glorying in and not glorying in whether we be white or pink or blue or black or green. I think I need to say that because I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a distraction from the uh, significance of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be identified uh, with Christ. Pastor, a question from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, and this is just a clarification as a person wasn't able to listen uh, last week. Do you know what it means to have a beautiful mind? Well, I, I pointed out uh, last week that, you know, when you think of a beautiful mind, I mean, I, I've heard the expression before, and but I've never had a, a real uh, specific definition. It, my concept of a beautiful mind was as a person who is... Um, a person who is able to look at things from an objective perspective, a person who is not controlled by bitterness but finds uh, good in other people, uh, a person who tries to develop a Christian understanding of the world and who tries to interpret whatever um, um, he has to deal with in a very objective way. But the point I was making last week, which I would like to reemphasize here, is that rather than uh, try to attain what... um, might be a subjective um, situation where a person wants to have a beautiful mind and there's no real solid definition for that. It is better to look in the Bible and see what kind of mind the believer should have. And that's what it was making. And, and I suggested that you look at the book of Philippians. Um, um, Warren Worsby, in his book on Philippians, does a, does a marvelous study on that book. And he points out that we are confronted by four problems that disturb us and disrupt our mind. Our circumstances, depending on whether they're good or bad, uh, can affect how we feel and how we think. 
people, uh, everybody knows that people get in the way, and then things, uh, the worldly, worldly things that we want, and then the whole matter about the future, our anxiety about the future. And in, in that book, he does a marvelous job by showing that in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, Paul is dealing with adverse circumstances, but yet the mind that Paul has is that he has a single mind for me to live as Christ and die as gain. So he suggested that's the kind of mind that we need if we're going to deal with the circumstances of life. And then the other thing in chapter 2, he talks about uh, let there be no vain glory in, let each extreme the other better. He's dealing with people, how he deals with people. And then he talks about have a submissive mind, have the mind of Christ, a servant's mind. That's the, that's the other mind. And then in chapter 3, he said, what things were gained to me? And he lists all of these uh, credentials that he had. And he said, I count all these things but dung. And that, that has to do with um, a spiritual mind. He, he wants to have the mind of, of, of uh, the mind where he thinks of the um, suffering with Christ, etc., etc. And then when we come to the final chapter, uh, he talks about anxiety and concern about the first. He said everything by prayer and supplication, a supplicative mind, a mind of prayer, basically. So those are the four different types of mind that he he talks about. And I was suggesting finally. Uh, when I was answered the question that we above everything else need to cultivate the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ is a servant's mind that doesn't value our reputation uh, on, uh, we try to serve and we, uh, we in other words we have a servant's mindset that's the kind of mind and a sacrificial mindset that he became a man and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross he's willing to sacrifice so service mindset is one that is humble and submissive and a mind that wants to serve and a one a mind that is sacrificial to my mind that kind of mind is far superior to what people might call a beautiful mind because it's the mind of christ and that's what the believer should desire thank you very much for asking that question and pastor thank you for your answer Another question from the individual in Trinidad and Tobago. As the world economy is collapsing, what hope is there in living? Well, for the Christian, our hope has never been the uh, thriving economy. Or that's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope has always been for the Lord to return, and her, our hope is the rapture. That is the believer's hope. So if you as a believer are banking on things remaining as they are or improving, uh, I think you've got the wrong emphasis. The biblical emphasis is that our hope is not down here. Our hope is above. And we need to focus our minds from planet Earth and understand that uh, we look for things that are going to come, not the things that are current. If you try to, um, if you try in any way to rely upon the changing world and all the uncertainty in the world, you'll never have peace, you never have joy, you never have confidence. You'll always live in a life of uncertainty and anxiety. And the Bible makes it clear that that's not the way the believer is supposed to be lived. Our hope is Christ. Let's be very clear. Our hope is not a politician. Our hope is not uh, that the government will solve all our problems. That's not our hope. Our hope is Christ. And uh, we got to push back the horizons of our thinking uh, to have that kind of a noble biblical concept rather than be governed by the exigencies of our times and the, uh, the, 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 the collapsing economy that is certainly going to happen in the future. You're listening to That's Truth. And if you have a question, we'd love for you to call and be put live on the air. The phone line is open and available waiting for you to call. The number is one 462 7420 Live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather not talk live on the air, I understand, and we would still love for you to interact with us, you can WhatsApp or text us at 
I'll give that to you again, but let me just mention, if you have a question that you want to ask and you don't want it attached to you, you don't want it attached even to the island that you're on, that's not a problem. We can just make a note of it and we will keep it anonymous. Uh, Feel free to still send your questions in. You can WhatsApp or text your question 1-268-782-1454. And you can also go on Facebook Live and comment your question under the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse live Facebook video feed right now, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. And if you missed a previous episode, and maybe you sent in a question you didn't get to listen to the answer, you can go to Google, and you can type in That's Truth Podcast, and uh, there's multiple links you could click on there, but if you look for... Uh, You can see all previous episodes. In fact, tonight is episode number 131. So you can see all 130 previous episodes. Another easy way that you can find our previous episodes is if you go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down until you see the big picture of the microphone, which is the second picture on the page. And right in the center there is a circle that says podcast. You can click on that and that'll take you to our That's Truth podcast and also uh, Lighthouse Conversations podcast. Yeah, I, I, I want to say something. I did something here, Nathan. I'm not trying to be sensational or not. I'm trying to be ap- apocalyptic. But a Christian understanding of this world scene is that things are not going to get better. Uh, um, the book of Daniel, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, sets forth the entire panoramic survey of world history and how things are going to eventually turn out. And uh, we, as Christians, uh, need to have a biblical understanding of Bible prophecy so we know exactly what's going to happen. We're not caught unawares. And the other thing I'd like to say, I think that the modern church has really betrayed uh, biblical truth because especially the prosperity gospel, uh, it, it pushes a narrative that is completely contrary to Scripture. And it gives people the idea that coming into Christianity means that you're going to have an easy time, you're going to get healthy, you're going to get wealthy. Uh, It's just going to be smooth sailing. That's not the biblical presentation of Christianity at all. That's a bogus, false Christian presentation. And I think the church has failed in that regard. So people are not preparing for uh, the inevitable, which is doomsday. They're living a very lackadaisical, callous, um, indifferent life, oblivious to what is coming. Yeah. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, good evening. Good evening. I haven't heard you for a while. I was worried if you were sick or something. I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Glad good to day. hear your voice. I'm with you, Pastor Nathan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How's your wife? Not too bad, she's very fine. Okay, you keep on treating her right, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. How can I help you? Yeah, I would ask two questions, but my credit kind of lose. I really listen off here, but isn't it? Okay, get ask the question. You can answer off here. Yes, first one with Esau and Jacob in chapter thirty-three. What one is that? Esau e- and Jacob. Uh huh. One Jacob was fleeing from Esau. Yeah, Genesis. And calling the Lord. I don't know. Is it because of fear? because he wanted to honor him because uh-huh. he had afraid of him so Andrew please explain that to me uh-huh. and second one can can a pastor or 
elder fox you to fit in tongue like you will free and come upon you instantly and then you can speak in tongue okay with a gift from god yeah all right that okay. speaking tongue and over the old spirit okay come upon you that yeah. speaking tongue or they can kind of force it in you yeah all right. So I, I would like to explain for please and the, without, thank you. You're welcome. Without um, you can hear it off offline if you want to. Yeah. yeah. With, without you. without having the passage that you spoke about, it has to be in Genesis. It has to do with Jacob and Esau. I suppose that has to do with the confrontation when um, um, Esau, Jacob had uh, stolen the birthright and uh, so on. He was coming back home and he's he's put out scared, etc. But I think the title calling him Lord, the word Lord is used in different senses. It's used in a term of respect, just that you use sir. So not every reference where you find the word Lord is used, it has to do with the context. In this one, he's not he's not calling him uh, Lord in the sense that he is God. He's calling him in the sense, my Lord. Uh, like Sarah as well, also called Abraham Lord. That is pointed out in the book of Peter. It's a title of respect. And uh, so that's what that's what it's meant in that particular passage. It's not it's not that he's equating uh, Jacob uh, Esau with, with with God. It's just a title of respect. Just like we use the word sir, uh, that's how it was also used in the in the Old Testament. The other one is that the the pastor, the elder, forcing somebody to speak in tongues. This is the folly of the modern tongue movement. I would recommend anybody to read the book of First uh, Corinthians chapters. 12, 13, and 14. And the Apostle Paul uh, is very, very clear. He, he says, when he, he said, forbid not to speak in tongues. I am the type of person that believe that I am very, very, I believe that if it, it comes a time where a man needs to speak in tongue because he's in a country where he can't speak a language and God wants to supernaturally intervene, I think that is possible. I, I can't box in God uh, that way. But when it comes to the modern tongues movement, it, there's a complete violation of what the Bible says about this matter. Tongues is a gift. And Paul makes it very clear. He asks a hypothetical question. Do, do all speak in tongues? And in the Greek language, the answer is no. The way the, t- the question is framed in the Greek language is only one answer to that question. All do not speak in tongues because tongues is a gift. And the Holy Spirit is a sovereign one that gives that gift. Not everybody can speak in tongues or will speak in tongues. And there's no pastor uh, that has any right or any authority uh, to command you to speak in tongues or force tongues upon you. It's, it's a bogus claim. And uh, look, when I was a pastor in St. Vincent, um, there was a young lady that used to go to our church. And uh, I, I think I might have recited this anecdote some at some other time. But she attended this, this uh, Pentecostal church, which, which was in the same community. And um, I was living in a house above the church. I can see what was going on in the church. And um, I heard all of this commotion going on. And I was wondering, what in the world is going on in there? I mean, did these people have some kind of power, some kind of supernatural thing happening in there? And people were running over the pews and speaking in tongues and keeping all kinds of noise and so when it was all over I met her uh, she was walking uh, in front of my, my, where I was living and I called her I said come here a minute please I want to ask you a question what happened down there and I will never forget what she told me she said she was just doing what everybody was doing See, that's the kind of fiction that goes on in these kinds of you, you, you're pressured psychologically uh, to fall in line because uh, that is the thing to do but I think it's a, a grievous uh, misinterpretation of the Bible an abuse of scripture 
uh, to do that. Look, Paul is very clear. If there's going to be tongues and speaking, Paul says one or two at the most, and there must be an interpreter. So if there's no, and remember that Paul is. This is not Paul's book. This is God's book. Paul was inspired by God to give instructions to the church relative to the use of tongues, and Paul lays down the guidelines and the rules and the criteria that should be uh, should govern the exercise of tongues within the church. What is currently happening in the modern church, where everybody is keeping just trying to talk, is total confusion. I have visited the church already when I was in Barbados, where I just. I don't know if I don't remember if I went with a friend. I just went to to the, the to the function, but I would never forget. Uh, it was such confusion. Everybody was speaking. Everybody was speaking in some language, something saying, and I couldn't even pray. My whole mind was so confused. I was saying, "But Lord, why am I here? What's happening?" Because that's not the biblical model. God is not the author of confusion. Uh, and uh, so the strictures laid down in the scriptures in um, uh, Corinthians should govern the use of tongues. So my answer to that question, no pastor, no elder has any authority or any 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 right to be forcing anybody uh, to speak in tongues because it is totally unscriptural, unbiblical. It's about time people allow the Bible to have higher authority than the pastor or the elder. The pastor is not God. And he did not write the Bible. God wrote the scriptures. And the, the Bible is above the pastor. And the pastor is to follow what the Bible says. If he doesn't follow what the Bible says, he should be defrocked and removed and somebody replaced who falls under biblical authority. But that's not what's happening today. We're in total confusion because the pastors are assuming a right and a power that doesn't legitimately belong to them. And the people uh, are saying you should not touch the Lord's anointed. Well, he's only the Lord anointed if he's following the word. So let the Word of God govern your life and govern the life of the church, and no man is above the Word. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Hi, good night, gentlemen. I have a question. The Catholic recite their rosary, and in it, it says Jesus died and descended to hell, and on the third, he arose from and ascended to heaven. Is that the truth? Because it never said that in the Bible. And I want to know which Bible the Catholic Church reads from. Well, I think they probably get that from the book of Psalms, where it said, David has said, Thou shalt not leave my soul in Hades. Okay. And then in, in the, the book of Second, uh, the book of Acts, when Peter was preaching, and they, they come to class, he pointed out that uh, Christ rose from the dead because he quoted that same verse, that you would not leave my soul in Hades, and that he ascended. So that's where they, they got that particular uh, uh, passage from. Uh, it is generally believed that um, if you read um, the book of Ephesians where it says that Christ uh, descended and he led captive be captive, it's generally believed that before Christ's death on the cross, when a believer died, he went to Hades. Hades, uh, by the way, there are two compartments. There's one where the believer is comforted and the one where the the, the ungodly are, are, are tormented. But uh, when Christ was um, raised from the dead and resurrected, um, he, he took the believers from Hades and took them to be with him. That is why today, when a believer dies, it says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. The, the, there's no Hades for the believer any longer. Uh, so that is the interpretation that is generally used. And also there's a, a reference in Peter, uh, which talks about... Um, 
uh, Christ going by the Spirit and speaking to the spirits in prison in the days of Noah. It is believed that some people interpret that to mean that, that at his death, he went into Hades, took the believer with him when he resurrected and took them up. But at the same time, he declared, uh, it's believed that he declared to those people who uh, in the flood rejected uh, the message that uh, he has finally come and redemption has come and has taken believers with him. There is another interpretation of that as well in, in the work of Peter. It believes that he went by his spirit uh, in the days of Noah. He spoke through the spirit in the days of Noah and warned the people in Noah's day. That's the other interpretation. So, But that's where the Catholics would have gotten that from, I believe, uh, And uh, unless they give me another clarity on this matter. I think that's where they got it from. Do you know what Bible the Catholic Church usually uses? They normally use a Bible called the Douay Version of the Bible. It's not exactly the King James Version, and it has within the the Bible, they would have the, I think, 14 uh, apocryphal books as well, along with the King James Version. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.com. O-R-G. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8 o'clock, and we are glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening schedule to join us on That's Truth. If you have a question, you can call us and be put live on the air by calling 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp and text your questions to 268 782 one four five four. Thank you very much to each of you who has already interacted with us tonight. If you'd like to send in your questions via Facebook Live, you can do that also. Uh, for this program, we are on Facebook Live on Tuesday evenings. If you don't get to hear all of the episode tonight, you can hear a rebroadcast of it on Saturday afternoon from 3.30 until 5 p.m. Pastor, that's all the questions I have in front of me right now. We'll jump back to questions as they come in. But let's pick up with last week. You were talking about uh, the question was, are demons free? And you were in Jude, I believe, verses 6 and Mm -hmm. 7. Let's pick back up there. Yeah, I think last time we were talking about the fact that there are some demons that are free. Um, Clearly, if they weren't free, they wouldn't have the demon problems we have today. Uh, but we also were pointing out that there are demons that are confined, and there are two sets of confinement. There are those that are permanently confined, I think that we were trying to deal with last time, and the reason why they were permanently confined. And we pointed out to you that in Genesis 6, is dealing there with the uh, sons of God going on to the daughters of men. And we pointed out that the word sons of God consistently in the Old Testament, as a matter of fact, is, is angels. Consistently in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the strangest thing is that this is the only passage in the whole of the Old Testament that people say is referring to satellites going into the Can- uh, uh, um, Cain's uh, ancestors. <laughs> but if you're going to be consistent in interpretation, how do you how do you allow that? Right, and we were trying to point out that uh, two passages in the, in the scriptures help to explain that. One in Peter where Peter points out that this happened in the days of Noah, those angels and those of Noah when the flood came. And the explanation there was that they are confined in darkness until the time of the great day of judgment. And, and the, Peter gives us the time in which these, these particular uh, the angels are confined 
in a place called the Taurus. Uh, but that, and then we came to Jude, and Jude makes the same reference to these fallen angelic beings that um, violated their. Uh, if you read the passage, uh, their uh, principality, pl- place where they were located, <coughs> and um, they left the habitation, and uh, they didn't keep within the the bonds that God had restricted, and uh, because of that, they ended up committing a, a sin and 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 and, and uh, Joel tells us the nature of that sin he says they committed a sin just like the people in Sodom and Omar who went after strange flesh that's the point of making likewise that's the word that is used likewise they they went after of course in the case of Sodom and Omar the, the, the strange flesh was homosexuality which is unnatural which is abnormal which is aberration and which is a perversion God abominates it and God destroyed Sodom and Omar because of, of homosexuality but these angelic beings their sin was that they're intermingled with uh, human stock and I pointed out that the whole design of that no doubt was a satanic plan to defile the 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 human stock because the Messiah in in Genesis chapter three was told the Messiah is going to come to crush the Satan's Satan's hell head. So he is designing uh, a plan, strategizing to um, to um, corrupt and defile the human stock so that the Messiah cannot come. That's why those angels were kept uh, and and destroyed. That's the point we we're making. So they they are permanently confined. Uh, they will never be released until the time of the great judgment where they be confined to uh, Gehenna. But there are angels as well that are temporarily confined, uh, not just permanently. And especially in the book of Revelation, uh, you'll find that the angels in the in the uh, river Euphrates area that is kept confined to be released in the end, end times days. And then there are another 200 million that are going to be released that will uh, sting people during the, the book of um, the book of Revelation tells us during the tribulation period. These are temporary confined but will be released as well. That's the point we're trying to make. So there are those who are permanently confined because they committed a, 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 an atrocious sin that violated the the parameters that God has set and uh, this co-mingling resulted in God judging them so severely that they could never be liberated until the, the final day but then there are those who are also confined waiting to be released in the end days and uh, the book of Revelation deals with this fairly extensively Pastor, in relation to the this demonic army, do we have any idea from Scripture how large it is? No, if you when we uh, go into Revelation, um, you will be they're just described. Uh, we're told that they have a sting like a scorpion. This. They look like a horse in certain ways. I hear like a man. The description is is very gross and very grotesque. Uh, That's the biblical description of these things. But we don't know um, how large they're going to be, but we just know there's going to be an army of 200 million, which is quite a lot. Uh, But the Bible talks about that. There are people who interpret that, by the way, to me. And I think Hal Lindsey, uh, in his book on... um, there's a new world coming. He interprets that to be the army of the Chinese coming to invade during the end time. He, that's how he interprets that. But if you go to the Bible, it is very, very clear that they're coming uh, from the bottomless pit. And we know that the pit, the bottomless pit, or the abyss, is where the demons are confined. Um, remember um, when they, they told Jesus on one of the occasions, uh, you come to torment us? And they said, uh, you know, are you going to put us in the abyss? That's where the confinement is. But there is a there are hosts of angelic beings that are held confined to be released during the end days. 
What about the quantity of how many of these demonic spirits there are? Well, if you look in in, in Scripture, um, there are several indications that we're dealing with a very huge uh, number. For example, you remember in Mark chapter 5 and uh, 9, 15 and Luke 8, 30, which is a parallel passage dealing with the man who is from Garadines. You remember that when the Lord asked him what his name was, he said he was Legion. Right. A Legion uh, uh, is six, 4,000 to 6,000. Wow. So that gives you an idea of, of what we're, we're, the kind of um, numbers we're talking about. That, that tells you quite frankly. Here's a guy who is possessed by a legion of demons. And I said a legion is between four and 6,000. So he was really, really uh, demonized. In, in Revelation 9, 16, there's a reference to two mil, 200 million. If you look at Revelation 9, 16, uh, references made there to these okay. spirits that we released. Revelations 9, 16 says, And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I heard the number of them. Right. So that gives you an idea. That's, that's, that's the 200 million right there, basically. Uh, that is a staggering figure. The other thing is... Um, it, the book of Hebrews, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 to 24, uh, if you just read it for just a moment. Hebrews twelve twenty-two to 24 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written into the to the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Uh, you mentioned, uh, did it mention, um, there's a part there that um, talks about myriads of angels? The innumerable company yeah, of what, angels. What, that, what, what verse was that? Uh, the end of verse 22. Yeah, read that again. Uh, verse 22 says, But ye are come unto the Mount of Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of yeah, angels. Yeah, a myriad of angels, basically. The, in other words, uh, they're numberless. Uh, and uh, there's so many. Uh, you can't count them, basically. Uh, so there's no no figure that is given there as to how many there are. But that's interesting because in Revelations 12, 3, and 4, we are told that when Satan fell, he pulled down with him one-third of the angelic beings. Could you read Revelations 12, 3, and 4? And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. The dragon, obviously, is Satan. You can read it later. Down. It's identified as Satan, the dragon, the serpent, all, all, all equated. But notice that his, uh, he drags on how many? One third, right? So that gives you an idea that uh, if you have an innumerable amount of hosts of angels in heaven, that cannot even be numbered. But yet we're told he, he pulled down with him. So two-thirds in heaven, basically, are good angels, and they got one-third. So you're dealing with a vast quantity of uh, angelic beings, with uh, fallen angelic beings that became demonic. So there's no specific number given, but using the terminology in the Bible and be consistent with the, the, what is mentioned, it's very, very clear that we're dealing with a vast horse of angelic beings. Pastor, this question may seem off the wall, but... Obviously, there's 
always scenarios where you may expect a team to win and the underdog comes and wins. Is there any possibility in your mind that God will lose control of the situation and that Satan will come out victorious? God has never lost control of the situation. Even when Christ died on the cross, it's, uh, the devil thought he got a victory, but that was the uh, he, he, he got a victory, but that was complete defeat for him because it's through the cross he finally will get defeated. But God has never, never, uh, you know, people get the impression that God is up there biting his nails, pacing up a dung planet in heaven one day, well, you know, what can I do? That's not the biblical picture that's presented. God is sovereign. He's in control. Uh, it's just that his ways, he has to operate within the the, the uh, trajectory of human will. And I think that's difficult people to understand. Uh, even though he is sovereign, he has sovereignly decided to deal with man on the basis of human will. So he has to allow human choice to, to play out. Uh, because if every time a man's going to do something wrong, God intervenes, uh, it means that that man is no longer going to be held accountable for what his actions are. So there's an uh, aspect where we have responsibility. We've got freedom, freedom of will. But God has an overall plan that is being worked out that cannot be changed. But within that overall plan, human will has to be allowed uh, its, its, its course in those matters. Uh, but uh, there's no question as a matter of fact, if you read the book of Daniel, chapter 2 and verse 7, uh, chapter 2 and then chapter 7, it gives you a whole panoramic survey of human history. There'll be four kingdoms, then there'll be one, fourth kingdom will be revived in the end day. And then we're told that the stone that no man came out of the mountain, that destroyed all of these, and then he became an eternal kingdom. That's the end of the story. The end of the story, we know the end from the beginning. The end of the story is that Christ will triumph and he is eventually going to rule. So whatever man does, for example, I don't fear that man would destroy himself with nuclear weapons because that's not going to happen. The Bible is very, very clear that's not going to happen. So Christians can, in the midst where the world is panicking, Christians can be at ease because we know things the world uh, simply does not know. And we ought to be, our lives ought to be governed by what the Bible is teaching so that we don't panic like the world panics. We have an understanding of the end time, what's going to happen. And if we are guided by these principles, we will not be caught in the same trap of anxiety. Uh, that the world finds itself in. I recently heard someone say that they believed that there was demonic influence in the world of politics. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't discount that. As a matter of fact, I think hopefully we'll, we'll get to that sometime in the program because it is very clear from the book of Daniel, uh, especially Daniel chapter ten, that there are demonic forces that are trying to manipulate. Uh, world governments. In, in the case of Daniel chapter 10, they talk about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece that's going to come. So you think that's taking place even in 2020, even in Antigua or the Caribbean or the U.S. or Europe? I believe it's been happening uh, from the beginning right through human history. Remember, you've got two enemies that are um, implacable and and incorrigible in, in terms of uh, being able to change, etc. Uh, and you've got these forces that are trying to uh, defeat each other. The, the war has begun in Genesis chapter, well, it began before chapter, chapter 3. It began in heaven with, with uh, Satan, Lucifer, claiming that he wanted to be like God. He was cast out, etc., etc. And then it came down to earth and it became a warfare and now it's about human destiny. But um, I have no doubt that world powers uh, you know, Christ can tell God can tell you that it's going to be the Babylonian Empire, 
and 200 years he can tell you it's going to be the per- Medo Persian Empire, and then it's going to be the Grecian Empire and the Roman Empire, and then it's going to be revived in the, the Ten Kingdoms. He can tell you that because what? He knows everything. He knows what's going on, the warfare. And in, in Genesis, in uh, Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel is praying to get an understanding of what these, these, these visions and dreams were, um, the Lord sent an angel to deliver to Daniel an understanding of the interpretation of these dreams. But we are told that the prince of Persia kept him back, and Michael the archangel came and had to, to deliver him out of this. That gives you an idea how powerful these angelic beings are, these fallen angelic Imagine that an, a, a good angel is sent to deliver to Daniel and he's kept back for 12 days hmm. by this. Just give you, that's why Paul tells we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle and beha- if it was possible to remove the scales from man's eye to really see what's going on in the invisible world, we'd be shocked the kind of warfare that's going on. But that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, of course, we live in a scientific age that doesn't recognize the supernatural. There's a bias against the supernatural. And that is why um, people can't explain uh, how people can do such evil. I mean, some of the, the, the acts that are being committed is just beyond me. I just read uh, in the internet this week, uh, 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 two ladies just killed five kids. Mm-hmm. Just like that. One, <laughs> It's shocking. Uh, how can such evil be going on? Uh, how can you take a man's neck and just chop a man's neck like the, the ISIS people were doing and think they're doing the favor of God? There's a deception here. There's, there are evil forces behind the evil that we're seeing. Christians should have a more objective view on what's going on and, and understand this is not a battle between human beings exclusively. There are powers at work behind government, etc. Take the, the, the whole movement of the homosexual movement and the gay movement and this uh, lesbian movement. Behind that, I have no doubt in my mind that there are spiritual agencies pushing this because we got the Bible talk unclean spirits, uh, spirits of foul spirits. There is a conspiracy to push this agenda on the world but behind all of that there's no question that that there's a mastermind that his whole goal is to completely destroy morality biblical morality and of course if it was known the evil behind it uh, people would be very reluctant because it looks as though the human beings claiming for equality and rights etc etc it seems as though we're dealing with on a human level but that is part of the deception there's a greater deception behind all of this mess do you believe that there are demons behind the push for abortion Oh, <laughs> what is Satan called? He cometh not but to steal and to do what? Destroy. Destroy. He's a murderer from the beginning. Right? Nathan, just let's be reasonable. How can you justify a modern nation like uh, Take America, mm-hmm. okay? The most powerful nation in the world, uh, probably the richest nation in the world, uh, in terms of their knowledge, their intellect is, is so. so but, but how can you explain a nation like that could kill 37 million babies? I mean, how could that, how is that possible? But not only that, how can you explain that there are current politicians in America? that are advocating that when a baby is born, you discuss with the mother what should we do with the baby. Should we kill it? How can you think that a person can murder a child and politically it seemed justified. There is a force behind this that is more than just a human force. We People have become insensitive, inhumane. They, they've lost their sense of, their conscience is seared. 
And behind all of this moral wreck, there is an evil power that is actually bent on the destructive humanity. And there's no doubt behind, in my mind that behind all of this evil, there is satanic powers and satanic forces. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 819. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air, 268 268- 462-7420 is the phone number to call. The line is open and waiting for you. If you'd rather not speak live on the air, you can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Pastors, we're talking about this demonic spirit army. Uh, is there anything that's talks about in scripture about the organizational structure or are they just kind of running around creating chaos on their own <laughs> well I, I think when you begin to see how well organized some of these um, groups are for example the LBGT group mm-hmm. um, uh, when you begin to see that the, the, the plan and by the way there was always a plan in place there's a, a book out that will tell you exactly how they plan to, to get this thing approved and they work from point to point uh, so they're organized. Evil is always organized. And it is unthinkable that Satan, who was part of the order of the universe and being one of the anointed cherubs, uh, he knows that in uh, God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. So there's no question that he, he saw the order that was there. And when he fell, it is only logical that he would now imitate and uh, because he is... <laughs> He is the ape of God. He's always trying to copy God. And the same type of structural organization you have, you have seraphims, you've got cherubs, you've got other angelic beings, etc. But there's an order there. Uh, it's not surprising that uh, Paul should tell us uh, in Ephesians about this matter. But also, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter 15 and 24 talks about the order of normal angels. He calls them rules and rule, rulers and authorities and powers. And then also in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he talks about principalities and powers. And then in uh, Ephesians, he talks about powers, principalities, and world rulers. So clearly there's an order there. There's a, a hierarchy there. There's a, um, um, there is this, this, um, this rule pattern that is there. And they're well organized. That's the whole point. In Daniel 10, I mentioned in uh, John chapter 10, verse 20, clearly uh, behind Persian Empire, he had his evil prince. Behind the Grecian Empire, which is Daniel chapter 10, verse 20 as well, he has an evil prince. I thought Satan having a prince behind these demonic powers, behind these uh, these world leaders. So clearly, uh, these things are well organized and uh, well structured. And um, and using the biblical language, there seem to be this this order because of the different ranks that are mentioned within these fallen angelic beings. Do you ever get the feeling, Pastor, or should we as believers ever get the feeling that we should be overwhelmed or concerned by the structure, by the sheer numbers, and the the so-called authority on this earth that the demons have? I, I think that what this should do for us, to us, really, is to make us a people more of prayer and more of a intimate life with God. I really think that's where it should push us, right? Because we know that uh, God puts a hedge around the believer. The believer is protected. 
But at the same time, I think it, if, if we really grasp the reality that we're dealing with uh, these infernal forces and they're such an exhaustive number, uh, it should push us closer to God in prayer and intercession and to walk with the Lord more intimately uh, because they're plotting our downfall and they want to bring us to ruin. And our closeness to God and our, 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 our prayer life, uh, I think, would be, should be cardinal having realized this reality of these forces are lined against us. This is something that I know a lot of people uh, want to know the answer to. What about their activities, the demons? Uh, are they free to do what they want to do, or what What can they do? Well, the activities of, of demons, I mean, there are two ways you can classify that. Um, their general activities, uh, and that would involve the whole plan to thwart God's purpose. They're working against that purpose. The other thing would be to extend um, Satan's dominion and his authority. And of course, um, uh, the other thing about that might, might surprise you is that some of the activities are actually activities that God allows for his purpose. In the Old Testament, we see that very clearly in the case of Saul. An evil spirit was allowed to torment Saul and uh, Saul became possessed and then there's another occasion where um, Ahab is misled by a spirit of deceit that tells him you want to go to battle the Lord had warned him not to go to battle you want to go ahead and a spirit and so the Lord also uh, can use them so there's a general activity where they're trying to thwart God's plan and God's purpose they're obviously trying to extend Satan's power in his domain, but there's also the activity where God is actually uh, using these fallen angelic beings for his purpose uh, in this warfare. That's the general thing. But when it comes to specifics now, uh, the, the Bible tells us several things about what these uh, demons are doing. The one you, you mentioned a moment ago, the, the, the plan is to control nations. To, to interact with nations and leaders and powers. You find that in Daniel chapter 10, verse 20 and verse 21, Daniel chapter 10, verse 10 and 14. Um, I don't know if you would like to read uh, that. Uh, that 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 would help a little bit. Daniel chapter 10, verse, verse 10 to 14. 10 to 14, yes. Daniel chapter 10, verse 10 to 14 reads as follows. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the psalm, palms of my hands and he said unto me O Daniel a man greatly beloved understand the words that I speak unto thee stand upright for unto thee am I now sent and he went and he spoken his word unto me I stood trembling then said he unto me fear not Daniel for from the first day that thou didst Set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard, and I came for thy words. But the prince of Persia, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, withstood me one and twenty days. Okay. Uh -huh. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. This same title is used. We know Michael is the archangel, mm -hmm. right? So it's this title here referring to angelic beings, one trying to hinder Daniel and one coming to give Daniel uh, his request. And uh, they're so powerful that they're able to restrain the good angel and, and Michael has to come to, in the rescue program. But that gives you an idea. And Persia, by the way, uh, again, is his second world power after Babylon. And then if you look at, uh, read verse 20 to 21. 
Then said he, Knowest thou whether I come unto thee? And now and now will I return to f- fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth me in these things but Michael, your prince. Again, notice the, the prince of Greece now. Greece mm-hmm. is the next empire is going to come. So notice you not only got a, a fallen angelic being uh, involved to try to influence the kingdom of Persia. And uh, he said after I, I fought with the king, prince of Persia, now the prince of, of uh, Greece is going to come. So clearly they're involved in influencing uh, world powers and world nations and uh, you cannot explain what's going on among nations some of these even some of these stupid decisions that they make uh, you know that's rational sensible people something got to be wrong that they're so blinded by, by whatever happened and I think that's the intervention of these uh, angelic beings designed to either hoodwink them fool them deceive them uh, down a, a wrong trail so are you saying that every individual involved in politics has a demon that's controlling them no I'm not saying that I am just simply saying that within the governmental circles you you cannot exclude the biblical teaching that they are fallen angelic beings trying to influence government in certain positions I believe that let me just use an illustration here uh, I don't know if you know that Barbara this is going to one of the um, one of the is going to have a referendum right now um I have no doubt in my mind. I'm a Barbadian myself. I have no doubt in my mind that this 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 pushing of the LBGT movement to the Prime Minister over there, Mia Mortley, who is an avowed um, lesbian. I mean, it's public knowledge. Uh, how can you explain? Uh, the idea that she is trying now to get it legalized so you can have same-sex marriage. How can anybody in their right mind ever conceive of two men or two women getting married? As a matter of fact, I have said this on the radio, and I hope it, if it's offensive. It's just, I cannot understand anybody that finds pleasure in a sewage canal could ever believe that they're rational or right. There's something abnormal about that. There's something psychologically evil about that. And if you if if, if that is now being pushed to become normalized in society, there's there are forces behind just human forces. So I, I think that even the battle that Barbados is going to face currently uh, about this whole matter, and it will become a battle in Antigua as well, and in the whole Caribbean. It's a battle for the soul of a nation, for the morality of a nation. And you can be you can bet it that behind these kind of evil forces that's trying to distort and destroy morality, there are evil, fallen, unclean, defiled spirits. It's not just a human battle. Uh, so I think that we are experiencing that battle in Barbados. I think Antigua is going to experience it as well. I think the Barbadian public at this point in time uh, are sensibly enough to know that we cannot have a census and legalize same-sex marriage. we got to ask ourselves, what kind of future do we want for our kids? And by the way, it doesn't stop there. The moment you legalize it now, it's going to be taught in schools. And the curriculum will go from care for right through. Uh, that is where it's headed. These people are not going to be satisfied until everything is so normalized that everything that is done for normal marriage will now be expected. So if you're teaching kids what a marriage is, what a home is, in our textbooks, they'll be taught from kindergarten right through uh, this perversion. And my whole moral soul is repulsed 
uh, by what is happening. And I hope that the people in Barbados are sensible enough to know that this is an evil coming from hell itself and needs to be stopped. And I hope our people are sensible enough to vote against it. Pastor, I don't think I've shared this with you. I recently uh, heard about a college, university student who was filling out uh, some paperwork. And you know how normally you have to fill out, you have to select uh, your gender, male or female. And I'm told that on this particular paperwork, there wasn't the choice male or female. There was transgender this, transgender female, transgender male. And if you wanted male or female, you had to write it in the other slot. Yeah. So now it's abnormal to be male <laughs> or female. That's where it's headed. Take it from me. These people are powerful. And they cannot accept the fact that what they're doing is an, it, their lifestyle is an aberration. It's unnatural. It's an abomination to God. And I think we in the Caribbean, whether we like it or not, we always make a boast that we are a Christian country, even if it's a nominal um, reference that we use. But we've got to decide what we really want. Are we going to be people that abandon Scripture, abandon God, abandon morality in order to accommodate? Um, and by the way, I'm minuscule. It's like between 1% and 5% of the whole population. So are we going to destroy 95% of the population to accommodate these five? I think that we be much wiser than that, and I hope that we have the moral courage uh, to be able to take a stand. The problem I have, Nathan, I must say this, I think this is a uh, first world agenda to normalize this kind of thing, and they're going to use economic pressure on these countries because the countries lack resources uh, in terms of uh, whether it be mineral or, 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 or any other form of natural wealth. All we have is land, sea, and the people, really, or, or capital is maybe the intellect of our people. But outside of that, we don't have any resources, and these big countries are going to use their economic power to coerce us into falling in line with their social agenda. And I don't know that the politicians today have the moral courage to take a stand. The other thing is, you know, they can ruin our, our tourism economy by making a scene that we're homophobic or we're whatever it is and uh, begin to blacklist these countries so that the whole economic system collapses. And that's why I, I've said this, uh, might worth saying again, and uh, maybe people who think our economy should never be based solely on tourism. I think one of the things that we should be doing, quite frankly, is looking at what God has given to us, and that is our land. And we can, we, we should be take agriculture very seriously and get an export market and maybe do some manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. But depending exclusively on tourism, we can be easily blackmailed like they're going to do, with, do it, with it with us to get their social gender uh, pushed. And as about time, Caribbean people wake up and the so-called intellectuals and the smart people and those who are in power begin to understand what is happening and think just beyond dollars and cents. We have to look at the moral core of our people because a democracy cannot survive without morality. And morality cannot be attained without belief in God. If we surrender God and surrender morality, we end up in total confusion and we're headed down a dark path that can lead to a cul-de-sac. Can you say that again? Morality, democracy cannot... A democracy cannot survive without morality. And morality cannot be sustained without belief in God. Do you think there's any example of that in what we're seeing in the U.S.? With the well, I think that's now? what's happening now to America. You know, this election in America is going to be uh, uh, this election that can decide whether you go down the socialist line, which is going to lead to communism ultimately, or you pull back in the conservative line. This is a real serious election. And there's no doubt when you listen to Bernie Sanders and listen to some of the others on that side, that quite frankly, they're trying to create a socialist society. And uh, name one socialist country that has ever 
turned out to be anything than a, a revolutionary that ends up in total disaster. Look at Venezuela. Look what's happened to that country. Because they look at uh, what happened to Jamaica when they ex manly experimented with uh, communism and socialism as well. Look what happened to Trinidad as well. Uh, and look what would have happened to Grenada had not the American gone out and t taken uh, and the thing with Maurice Bishop. The whole Caribbean was headed down uh, uh, the, 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 the line of communism and socialism. And there was the domino theory that if one fell, the other would fall to it. And that was what's going But it was turned back as a result of what happened in Grenada. And uh, it's fortunate for us that we didn't go down that line. But socialism, uh, there's no country that ever uh, eventually prospers and become anything significant through socialism or communism. It all collapses eventually. Because without God and without uh, morality, uh, you have the dehumanization of man. And that leads eventually to all kinds of corruption, all kinds of evil, uh, where people begin to do whatever they want, and eventually society collapses without morals and without standards. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive program. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at org, and also online for this program on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed. You can comment your questions or your concerns or maybe a suggested future topic for That's Truth there on the Facebook video feed. Or you can WhatsApp or text us at 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. If you'd rather call and be put live on the air, the phone line is open and waiting for you. 268 462-7420. Pastor, do you have anything else you want to mention in relation to the... Uh, activities? Yeah, the activities. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're actually, I got about 13 different activities that they're involved in, but I just think we're just going to list them. Uh, we mentioned the matter of they try to influence and control nations, especially those who are um, game changers in terms of world affairs. The other thing is that they're, from the Bible, they inflict physical maladies on human beings. I mean, when you look in the Bible, for example, dumbness and muteness mm. uh, is attributed to demonic possession. Not all dumbness, because the Bible makes a distinction between uh, the a natural physical dumbness. We can show that later. But people who were dumb and who were mute, um, Matthew 9, 23, 32 and, 30, uh, 32 and 33 is an example there where the person had a death and a dumb spirit. But clearly, uh, that is a physical problem that was caused by demonic uh, influence. Y did you want to read that? or? Yeah, Matthew nine thirty two and 33 says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. That gives you an idea that not every dumb person is naturally dumb. Very, very clear. The Bible points out other occasions when there were dumb people who were not possessed. But you cannot eliminate the possibility that in certain cases of dumbness, there is some kind of uh, demonic spirit involved. Also, if you look at Mark 9.25, deafness is another one. Mark 9.25 says, When Jesus saw the people... When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, 
Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Not only deaf dumbness, but deafness as well. And notice that the spirit was creating this dumbness and this deafness. Now, this is not to say, and I want to be very, very clear to every person who is deaf and dumb is possessed. That's not what we're saying. But you cannot exclude the reality that this is what happens in certain cases. Um, if you look at Luke 13, 10 to 13, you'll see the curvature of the spine also um, was attributed to demonic influence. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and couldn't in no wise lift up herself. And Jesus saw her and called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified right. God. It's, it's all a spirit that's there curving her to bend over at the curvature of the spine. Again, that doesn't mean that every person who has a curvature spine is somehow demonized. But in this case, a demonic power was using or holding this lady in that condition. Uh, if you look also at Matthew seventeen fifteen to 18, epilepsy is also attributed Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. How far? Go ahead. Uh, and Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. It's a child with epileptic fits to have a tendency to fall into 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 uh, get injury, but again, notice that it's not a natural phenomenon. It's not an organic problem. It's a demonic problem for the child, uh, and and that's the thing about when you're dealing with matters that uh, physical ailment or you always should try to get a, um, a test to see if it's an organic problem or, or it's actually a spiritual problem. Um, for example, I remember one time we went to see a lady and when we were talking to her and she told us how many pills she was taking and she couldn't sleep. Mm. I, I knew we were not dealing with a physical problem because the amount of sleeping pills she was taking would make her sleep. She ain't got a choice. <laughs> yeah. But no matter how many she took, she couldn't go to sleep. So you're not dealing now with a natural phenomenon. You're not dealing with an organic problem because the the, the chemical in the thing is supposed to make you sleep, but it's not affecting the person at all. So you're not dealing now with a physical problem. You're dealing with something more spiritual. So sometimes when you're dealing with those kind of issues, you have to. it's good if you have a... Uh, and this is one of the problems we have in the Caribbean, the paucity of Christian um, doctors or Christian uh, psychiatrists or Christian psychologists. Um, who do you take a person to if you, you want to get a, a careful examination of the person and you can sit down and talk to the doctor, look, we're not too sure what we're dealing with here. You know, I don't know where you find a person like that in, in the Caribbean, to be very honest with you. Uh, I know that most people who are psychiatrists, they, all they know is to give the, child, give the person a pill. Uh, and it's normal to try to put back whatever imbalance is there, but sometimes you're not dealing with an organic problem. But because these people are so... Uh, trained to exclude the supernatural, 
the mere thought or the suggestion that we might be dealing with something spiritual or supernatural, it is almost a laughing matter to some of these people because they're so anti, um, the, the, the whole presuppositions are so anti-supernatural that their interpretation is so skewed, they always come to the wrong conclusion. Uh, and that's why you need a Christian, whether it be a Christian doctor, a Christian lawyer, a Christian psychiatrist, a Christian psychologist. You can sit down with as a pastor and discuss it because they understand, they have a biblical worldview. Without a biblical worldview, these people think that you're, you're loony to suggest that there's something more than just an organic problem. Uh, if you look also at Matthew 12, 22, you see blindness. It's also attributed to this matter. Matthew twelve twenty two says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Clear again. That again, we got to understand that these are things that, uh, if the Bible is not true, well, you, you, the possibility doesn't exist. But the fact that the Bible indicates that there are evil spirits that cause these problems, we as Christians should be aware that not every person you deal with in, with these kind of physical problems, it's a physical problem. We've got to push back our horizons and look beyond the physical and understand we might be dealing with spiritual matters. Uh, but because, again, we ourselves have become so brainwashed to look at it from a what you might call a scientific view, that we ourselves don't even entertain that there might be a reason behind this uh, this illness that's beyond just the physical. And then look at one other one. Look at Mark nine eighteen. Mark nine eighteen reads as follows: And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth his teeth and pinneth away. And I spake to the disciples. That they should cast him out, and they could not. The point there, we thought the fact that these spirits can cause physical injuries and maladies in people, dumbness, deafness, uh, curvature of the spine, epilepsies. Uh, and here is personal injury, a person who is self-inflicting injury on themselves. Uh, this is not normal. Uh, some people say, well, the guy is crazy, but he may not be crazy. The truth of the matter is there are demonic spirits that are trying to destroy the individual and is causing self-injury. So when you see a person, like when we come to Mark chapter 5, when we talk about the marks of demon possession, the guy is actually mutilating himself, cutting himself. See, This is not, he's not mentally ill. The man is possessed. So, but again, because we, we have not, we have uh, pretty much put the thought of demon possession out of the picture when people are self-mutilating themselves and doing self-injury, we generally say the person's crazy, the person's mad, but the Bible makes it clear that there may be a forces beyond just the... Me- That's why I say that when you're dealing with situations like that, you need to find out, is it an organic problem? Or is it a spiritual problem? And that's where the medical profession comes in to say to us, look, this is a medical problem. This is, a, this, is a, this is actually a physical problem, organic problem. But if they cannot source an organic reason for what the person is doing, then it opens the door that we might be dealing with a spiritual problem. And Christians need, and that's why I keep saying, Nathan, we need Christian doctors, we need Christian lawyers, we need Christian psychiatrists, we need Christian psychologists that we as pastors can feel comfortable discussing these matters with. Right? We're not trying to displace them. We're just trying to understand that not everything is organic. But unless the, the doctor or the professional husband understand the biblical worldview of the Bible too, and believe the scripture, he will never be able to solve some of the problems. So there might be people who they're treating with pills, but they'll never, never, ever be healed because that's not the problem. There's a spiritual matter, okay? So we're talking about the control of nations, and then 
they can also cause um, insanity. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Mark chapter 5. 1 to 5. And they came over onto the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerardines. And when he had was come out of the ship immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Imagine we see a person like that today. Mm. What would most people say? He mad. Yeah, mad or drugs. Or <laughs> right. But again, behind all of this bizarre behavior is what? An evil spirit. The man is possessed. Right? And that's the point uh, we're trying to make, that we need to let or we need to push beyond the natural horizons and understand that there are supernatural forces that were bent on human destruction. And uh, unless we recognize this as believers, we wouldn't understand our role in ministry to this type of people. We lead the ministry of this people exclusively to the doctor who doesn't have a clue what the real problem is. But the point I'm making here is that this bizarre, irrational behavior can also be caused by demonic powers. And then in Mark, uh, uh, also the other thing about him, uh, look at Mark 9.22. Mark 9.22 says, And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Okay. Uh, again, what, did, what, what this person who is demon-possessed is trying to kill himself. This is what you call suicidal attempts. Not every suicidal attempt has an organic cause. Uh, again, there are people that hear voices telling them to kill themselves. There are people hear voices telling them to go and kill somebody else. Um, again, this is the role of demonic powers in the minds of people. This is where I, I think I've alluded to this before, Nathan, the idea of these people using drugs and the idea of that you lose your consciousness and you're no longer in control of your mind, you're going to this higher level. I've said before in this program, people who are engaged in the use of drugs where they lose control of their consciousness are opening a door in their lives for these evil spirits to control them. So when they say that they hear a voice or see things, they do hear a voice, they do see things. You can't see it, I can't see it. But they've opened their lives to this demonic influence. So the other thing here is that uh, suicide attempts uh, are not necessarily something that is um, done by the individual exclusive. He is encouraged to do that by these powers within him, etc. Um, Mark 5, 12 to 13 tells you something else as far as what they can do. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And they were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Yeah, there's a, a, a Lutheran pastor that did a lot of um, occult, occult counseling in Europe. And he, he wrote a book called Counseling uh, the Occult. And he he will tell you in the book, he has countless um, anecdotes where he's had to deal with animals, people who own animals, the animals was possessed 
right? I mean, this is something that this is again, and again, remember the, the, the demonic powers, these angel uh, demons always seem to want to possess, like they want a body, it seems that to be the, the, the ultimate goal. And if they can't get a human body, sometimes they possessed animals, and that is that is something if you read his um, uh, his book, he recounts several examples how he's had to deal with. Uh, um, in, in, especially in Eastern Europe and in Germany when he, he ministered there. So that's another activity that they can actually possess um, uh, um, animals. And then if you look at, uh, I'm not too sure we want to look at all of these, but I'll give them to the audience. Leviticus 17.7, Deuteronomy 32.17, Isaiah 65.11, Acts 17.22, uh, and 1 Corinthians 10.20, they promote idolatry. Uh, behind idolatry, whether it be in Alaska, uh, uh, whether it be in the jungles of South America, whether it be in Africa, whether it be in the Far East, behind idolatry there are demonic spirits that try to promote uh, not the worship of God, but the worship of idols. That's another th- uh, activity that they're involved in. And then um, they also, in Luke 9.27, could you just read that? Luke 8.27 And when he went forth to the land there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes neither abode in any house but in the tombs Yeah. Later on you'll find that it's an unclean spirit but notice the idea that they're without clothes uh and again, this uh, unclean spirit uh, means morally unclean. They foster immorality. And wherever you find idolatry, where there's a lot of idolatry, you'll always find immorality. It, it, it goes together because it's part and pattern of the demonic power, trying to corrupt uh, human morality and move man away from God. And one of the attractions of idolatry, a lot of it has to do with temple prostitutes and getting involved in immorality. That's the attraction of, of uh, you know, the Corinthians had that particular problem. And at Corinth, uh, that was one of the things where they had the priestesses that were prostitutes, temple prostitutes. That was one of the attractions of the the, 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 the worship in Corinth. And, but you'll find that that's part of the, the appeal of idolatry, that it encourages uh, a life of immorality. And then, um, um, it, well, we know Ephesians 6, 12, that they oppose uh, believers uh, Paul talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So that's another activity that they actually engage in warfare against the believer to hinder the work of God in the believer's life. And uh, and uh, one other thing quickly is you look at First uh, Timothy chapter four verse one, where they promote false doctrine. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Yeah, so that's another activity that they're engaged in. I mean, there's, there's, uh, the, the amount of false doctrine that there is out there uh, and the amount of cults that have risen in, in the uh, last, say, last hundred years, beginning in the 1980s, is astounding. And the invasion of the cults from the East uh, in the 20th century in America, for example, where people moved away from the God of the Bible and started taking in Hinduism and Rashniism and all the other different types of ism. Uh, it, it is just staggering how people can go from belief in God, belief in the Bible, to embrace some of the ideas 
that are now fostered by these these different cultic groups clearly uh demonic powers are involved uh in that <coughs> so that's one of the ministries the whole thing is a spread false doctrine and a false system <coughs> pastor can you kill an evil spirit are they eternal uh, there's no indication that an evil spirit can be killed. Uh, we know it can be confined uh, in the abyss, but there's no indication that the evil spirit can be killed. Uh, th- as a matter of fact, <coughs> I, I think that people, you know, the law of conservation of matter says that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Even that is one of the bases where people believe uh, believe in life after death, that you can't kill the spirit. And <coughs> I, there's no indication that it can, the spirits can be killed, but we know they will be confined because <coughs> in the um, Revelation chapter 20, even Satan and the beast and the false prophet will be sent into Gehenna and they'll be confined there forever. But there's no indication that you can kill the spirit. <coughs> Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.55. Pastor, we have three minutes left in tonight's episode and we're talking about uh, demons, demonology, if you have just tuned in. And you may be saying, wait a minute, Pastor Murphy's pastor of a Baptist church. He's talking about demons. Do they really believe in demons? <laughs> Do you believe in demons, Pastor? <coughs> of course. Uh, what, one of the things, I, when I was reading the book, My Unger, uh, Bible Demonology, he pointed out very clearly that it is a very shocking fact that after the 4th century, there was a silence about demons uh, for almost a thousand years, the church hardly wrote anything about demons. As a matter of fact, he also pointed out that the Puritans were known to be some of the most godliest men uh, and wrote some of the most profound books. That in their writings, there's hardly a mention. Uh, he talks about, um, I forgot the name of the guy right now, John Owens, uh, that wrote, I think, um, several volumes, maybe a hundred volumes, but not once in his volume except a brief commentary that he talks about demons. It is only after the Second World War, uh, the First and Second World War, that the world became aware that there's something beyond the ordinary that could provoke this. And especially when the Jews were slaughtered by Hitler, six million of them. The kind of atrocities, when you look at the chambers and how the bodies were bleached, and how can anybody commit such a, a atrocities? Uh, people begin to realize that, and the amount of people that got killed, it's just staggered. And people begin to realize that behind these political forces, there had to be something more than just human being. And it's out of that, this First and Second World War, that there was a revival in the pursuit of studying about, about demons. But there was a great lapse, almost a thousand years, where the church hardly spoke about it. And that, but it, today, of course, has gone to the other extreme. There's a demon behind everything. Uh, and that's because Pentecostalism has stripped it and carried it to the other extreme. And because it has done that, Baptists, I must say, has avoided these subjects because lest we be uh, fall in line and, and uh, fall under that same umbrella. But it's to our own detriment because there's a biblical teaching on this subject. How do we strike a balance between the extreme on the one side that finds a demon under every rock and the other extreme that says demons were only existent? Uh, that's just a Bible story. That's not realistic today. Well, I would say to you that uh, anybody that has any doubt about whether or not there are demonic powers is just reading the New Testament. I would not even just suggest the Gospels, but read the writings of Paul. Paul himself says that a message of Satan was given a thorn in the flesh. 
so Satan was involved even the affliction of the Apostle Paul. Uh, from beginning to end, there's a verse also in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Could you just read that? Romans 838. 8.38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other creature. Just separate us. But notice that Paul mentioned he's listing the things that can never, things that try to separate us from God, okay? He talks about those, those things. But notice that in the list that he got there, what? Devils, he mentioned what? Angels, or principalities, are the order powers. Within the so even, even angelic beings uh, will try to, these are fallen, try to separate us between us and God. And Paul saw not even them. So clearly, even in that passage, the Apostle Paul is alluding to demonic powers trying to separate the believer uh, from Christ. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of That's Truth. We will pick up this topic next week, Lord willing. Rapture doesn't happen first, and we will uh, continue. So if you know someone who is interested in this topic or who would benefit from hearing more teaching from the Bible on the topic of demons and evil spirits, please encourage them to tune in next Tuesday at 7.30 on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Currently, the time across the Eastern Caribbean in the studios is 9 p.m. on a Tuesday evening. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.